Hey guys, this is Steve Baker, your friendly neighborhood TPC. Wow, what a news day is already developing. I'm going to cover quite a few things here, shotgun style, so let's just get going. First off, I want to respond to some of the comments from my podcast, which was posted late last night about the trial verdict in Minneapolis. Despite the fact that I acknowledged in the video that Chauvin was quite likely guilty of, at the very least, manslaughter. The typical knives came out from some of those reacting on my social media posts about my thoughts regarding the uh, trial and the verdict. For instance, and, and I get this one all the time, get it a lot, and, and this happens anytime I take anything other than the hardest line against anything related to a, a cop shooting. Here's one of the comments that was made on my Facebook uh, page thread. He said, and accused me of being, and I quote, the pragmatic cop apologist, the pragmatic bootlicker. I'm always amused when those who claim to be adamant protectors of the Constitution excuse the most obvious examples of why the Constitution exists. What? I mean, first of all, the Constitution exists both to protect the rights of citizens against an abusive government agency, but it also exists to guarantee even the guilty have a right to a fair trial, even a guilty cop. And that was the gist, the basis, the theme of what I was talking about in last night's podcast. I'm talking about a trial without a mob that's threatening to burn down the city if their preferred verdict isn't reached, and one in which you know Congress members or even our presidents are not demanding a very particularly stated and preferred verdict and doing so publicly. I mean, come on. Even the judge in this case acknowledged the very fact, and from his own bench during the trial— he acknowledged that politicians' public statements themselves were opening a very clear path to appeal by the defendant himself. This individual who made that comment was obviously, well, he had obviously never seen the video. At least I can't believe that he watched the video and made that comment. He's also <laughs> obviously never seen the video of me personally open carrying a weapon right in the middle of a dozen cops who had just shut down a peaceful protest rally here in my city of Raleigh, North Carolina, and then me openly confronting them while carrying this weapon openly uh, and questioning their very authority to, you know, to shut that uh, peaceful protest rally down. He's also obviously never seen video of me being pushed and shoved by shield-bearing cops and National Guard troops for doing nothing more than just lawfully covering the January 6th event as a journalist. Me doing so, participating in no violence whatsoever, uh, not doing any property damage there at the Capitol, and, and at the time that this was taking place where I was being shoved around by uh, law enforcement and by National Guard troops, we were not even on Capitol grounds uh, at the time at all. And yet they were taking this action against me. I would just stand in place. They would come up with me the shields and push me aside. So he's obviously never seen me in those circumstances, in those conditions to call me, you know, a pragmatic bootlicker. Anyway, here's, here's another comment uh, on one of the social media feeds in response to that very same podcast. Here's another comment in response to that very same podcast. More butt hurt from Team White Guy. The jury got it exactly right solely on the obvious facts of the case. The end. <laughs> Someone apparently can't process simple 
English language as presented in that podcast. My argument was and is that cities burned and more than two hundred, uh, more than twenty people were murdered in the name of, you know, racial justice, and, and no such thing at all was even on trial. There was zero evidence of such. Racism was never even mentioned in that trial, but that was the charge of the mob. It was the charge of certain Congress creeps. It was the charge of our president. Systemic racism was the justification also given by politicians and mainstream press alike to condone the violence and the destruction that accompanied the so-called you know, peaceful protests last year. And, of course, those that continue to go, to go on. And the claim of racism was also the reason for the ongoing threat of that mob who were standing outside the gates of the Hennepin County Courthouse and ready to set ablaze a hundred other cities in America had they not received the verdict uh, that they wanted. Again, and I'll say this, you know, authoritatively, and I'll say it in response to, you know, the Constitution, it is entirely possible to be guilty as hell and yet still not get a fair trial. This is something for which you know every defense attorney in this nation is painfully aware. So I stand by my primary premise, and this is what I wrote as a you know caption above the videos wherever they were posted. I actually said, right verdict or wrong, the prosecution did not win the murder case in Minneapolis. The mob won. Guilt or innocence of whatever crime he was accused of committing, Derek Chauvin was not the biggest loser. America was. All right, on to other topics. The House today passed a bill authorizing the city of Washington, D.C. should become our 51st state. Well, I'm sorry, you lazy-ass oath breakers. The Constitution clearly established that city as a district and not a state. They did so in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. If Congress wants to change that, then, you know, they've got to go to the Article 5 process and begin the amendment process in order to change what was established in Article 1. They don't get to just change the Constitution by a uh, simple majority vote of the legislative body. That's the law. And that's the law that they're supposed to understand and that they also swore an oath to uphold. Anything less is nothing more than just a naked power grab, period. They want to sidestep the Constitution in order to break what is now kind of a, you know, a deadlocked Senate for the most part. They also want to pack the Supreme Court, as we know, with four additional democratically appointed justices in order to control the only remaining blockade that uh, exists you know, against their final and intended transformation of our country away from a constitutional republic and, you know, what's left and remaining of a free market economy. On to another event that's in the news today. You've all seen the video, of, you know, this brand new video of um, the cop killing in Columbus, Ohio, a couple of days ago. As it happened, police got a call from an event where a potential assault with a knife was taking place. This particular cop gets out of his car. He immediately sees all hell breaking loose around him right there in broad daylight. And within just, I mean, mere seconds, he's able to see, he's able to process that there's a knife-wielding you know, individual who has her arm cocked back and is ready to stab and make the move downward to stab another human being. So he shoots. He kills the assailant. He saves the life of an unarmed person. We've all seen it. I've watched the video over and over and over again, as you probably have yourself. In this particular instance, again, the assailant, the knife-wielding assailant, happened to be black. The woman that the cop defended from deadly force was also black. And 
honestly, that particular circumstance, a particular fact in this case, is completely immaterial to the facts that happened on the ground. What happened was simply the cop killed an armed person in the act of violence. The cop saved an unarmed person from potentially deadly force. Race played no part in this whatsoever. Yet, here comes the mob again. They've taken to the streets. They've taken to Twitter. Uh, even, you know, the great civil rights spokesman, um, <clears throat> LeBron James, he tweeted the cop's photo and captioned that with, you're next. Now, because of my analysis there, who wants to be the first to call me a pragmatic bootlicker? Hmm? Uh, oh, I'll tell you what. Here, please, please allow me to give you another chance to do so. <laughs> the mayor of Chicago has announced that police may soon need a supervisor's okay before they are allowed to chase any suspect on foot. Let me say that again. The mayor of Chicago has announced that police may soon need a supervisor's okay before they can chase on foot any person they see or, or learn is connected with a crime. And no, I'm not kidding about that. Look it up. A Chicago cop, therefore, potentially, if this goes through, uh, can even witness a violent crime in progress, see the perp take flight on foot, but must stop, must then radio in a request to speak to a supervisor before giving chase. They must wait for that response. Meanwhile, the criminal has more than enough time to get away. Once again, look... The, the only thing systemic now being implemented in America's major cities is the right to lawlessness. Uh, they're doing so, you know, in, in the name of social justice. It's actually another form of redistributionism. It's another form of reparations without legislation or representation of, you know, of the people by their legislative bodies. It's uh, the right to loot, to steal, and to burn, and to do so without consequence. That's all this is. Nothing more, nothing less. And how about this one? Maybe this one will also uh, allow you to lay me, label me a bootlicker. In this particular case, you're going to have to suspend all logic and common sense in order to make that claim, but you know, I bet you can do it. A police officer in Norfolk, Virginia, was fired from his job yesterday after it was learned that he had contributed to the legal defense fund uh, for you know the Kenosha shooter. You remember Kyle Rittenhouse. If you remember... Kyle, the 17-year-old kid who defended himself from assaults with deadly weapons, used a borrowed AR-15 to do so. In this particular instance, Norfolk, Virginia Police Lieutenant William Kelly anonymously gave $25 to a fundraiser for Rittenhouse, and he did so back in September. But he unfortunately made the mistake of using his city email address in that particular transaction. The donation was submitted along with a comment to Rittenhouse himself. And here's what the Norfolk Cup wrote. He wrote to Rittenhouse, God bless. Thank you for your courage. Keep your head up. You've done nothing wrong. Every rank-and-file police officer supports you. Don't be discouraged by actions of the political class of enforcement leadership. Let me parse that one out a little bit. A rank-and-file cop here is standing behind the actions of a law-abiding civilian to defend himself against deadly force. And he said, every rank-and-file police officer supports you. Now, that may certainly be an overstatement, you know, the word every 
uh, a police officer. But we get his point, the larger point being the most significant part of his message when he wrote, don't be discouraged by actions of the political class of law enforcement leadership. Bingo. The political class of law enforcement leadership is the problem. And and who is that political class leadership in almost every major city's uh, police departments? Well, it, you know, it's the left-wing, anti-Second Amendment political appointees to those police chief positions. So for that $25, uh, that $25 donation and his comments, the cop was fired. In fact, his superiors, um, one of his superiors had this to say, his egregious comments erode the trust between the Norfolk Police Department and those who are sworn to serve. Look, I, I agree with the fired officer. The vast majority of rank-and-file officers do, in fact, stand behind Kyle Rittenhouse, as well as every other you know, uh, citizen, law-abiding citizen, who defends themselves with deadly force against violent assault. Now, that doesn't mean that enough of those officers will you know, eventually defy unlawful or unconstitutional orders when that time comes, and whatever that time is, you can read into that as you please. But you know that's another topic for another time. Based on that particular analysis, let the bootlicking accusations begin. All right, here's a semi-change of topic. Um, how many of you knew that the U.S. Postal Service has its own law enforcement arm? I mean, you know, it stands to reason that we don't want our mail being stolen, and there is, you know, obviously such a thing as mail fraud. So the only good and moral function of any government agency is to, you know, protect us from force and fraud. So why not the U.S. Postal Service have its own law enforcement division, right? But uh, we've also just now learned that the Postal Service has been quietly running a program that tracks and collects Americans' social media posts, including those about, you know, planned protests. And this is uh, now being revealed and coming from a document obtained by Yahoo News. Uh, the details of the surveillance uh, effort known as ICOP. This is what the Postal Service is calling this particular division. ICOP. Sounds like something from Apple, doesn't it? ICOP stands for Internet Covert Operations Program. And their particular actions and activities have not been previously made public. The work uh, involves having postal employees, actual analysts, trawl through social media sites to look for what the document describes as inflammatory postings. And then they share that information across whatever you know, government agency can act upon that information. Yeah, the obvious question is, what in the hell does social media sites have to do with securing the safe and legal delivery of our mail? What's most disturbing is the acknowledged target of their completely non-postal related investigations. The Yahoo News story goes on to say, and I quote, Analysts with the United States Postal Inspection Service Internet Covert Operations Program, otherwise known as ICOP, monitored significant activity regarding planned protests occurring internationally and dom domestically on March 20th, 2021. Locations and times have been identified for these protests, which are being distributed online across multiple social media platforms to include, here's the kicker, to include right-wing leaning parlor and telegram accounts. Hmm. Right-wing leaning parlor and telegram when contacted by Yahoo News, civil liberties experts expressed their own alarm at the post office's uh, surveillance program. 
It's a mystery, said University of Chicago law professor, professor Jeffrey Stone. I don't understand why the government would go to the Postal Service for examining the Internet for security issues. This seems a little bizarre, agreed Rachel Levinson-Waldman, Deputy Director of the Brennan Center for Justice's Liberty and National Security Program. Based on the very minimal information that's available online, it appears that ICOP is meant to root out misuse of the postal system by online actors, which doesn't seem to encompass what's going on here. It's not at all clear why their mandate would include monitoring of social media that's unrelated to use of the postal system. She says it seems a little bizarre. Well, you know, bizarre is right. What is the Postal Service doing analyzing our social media posts? Uh, hopefully, we'll get more information on this soon. Uh, in other news, uh, it's just been revealed that the FBI has come to a conclusion about that 2017 attack on the GOP congressional baseball team. Remember that? Uh, that was when a gunman fired 136 rounds at Republican lawmakers who were practicing for the annual you know, baseball game that goes on between themselves and the Dem- Democratic fielded uh, baseball team. That was when Louisiana lawmaker Steve Scalise was critically injured by the gunman. Eventually, the congressional members on security forces were able to shoot dead that assailant, uh, a man who was then, you know, discovered and known to be a very avid uh, Bernie Sanders supporter and activist. So now, after years of investigation, the FBI has finally ruled that that particular shooting was nothing more than a, and I quote, suicide by cop event. It was not a politically inspired attack, they say. Well, remember the Fort Hood uh, shooting where Nadal Hassan, uh, a U.S. Army major, fatally shot 13 people and then also injured 30 others? That particular event was ruled a workplace violence event and not a terror attack. And this is even though Hassan was shouting, Allahu Akbar, you know, during the attack. The U.S. government actually declined requests from survivors and family members of the slain to categorize the Fort Hood shooting as an act of terrorism. The United States Department of Defense and federal law enforcement agencies, FBI, classified that particular shooting as an act of workplace violence. You see, these rulings are just part of a continuing effort to keep low the numbers of anything other than what can be called so-called right-wing extremist events and violence. Whereas, you know, Fort Hood was clearly an Islamist extremist attack, and the attack against the congressional baseball team was committed by a left-wing Bernie supporter attacking Republicans. We all know, had a Donald Trump supporter fired 136 rounds at the Democrats' baseball team, You can bet your ass the FBI would have ruled it an attack by a right-wing extremist. Uh, As such, you know, the left-wing politicization of that great, you know, once great investigative agency is pretty much now complete. The narrative must not only be maintained, but the numbers must be bolstered and managed so as to support the ongoing narrative that the prevailing and leading source of all violent uh, extremist attacks in this country are coming from the right side of the political spectrum. Let's keep down those numbers of uh, Islamic terrorist attack and let's keep down those numbers of left-wing attacks in order to say that right-wing extremism is the number one source of violence in this country. Well, finally, in the news of the day, and this one hits me far too close to home, 
Uh, for months now, many of you know that I've been discussing the possibility that I may never again be allowed to, you know, fully re-engage in my lifelong a- occupation as a professional musician, you know, given the coming new normal and all things post-COVID. With, you know, the advent of the vaccines and the specter of vaccine passports, it seems that when entertainment venues, whether we're you know talking about huge stadium shows or even those in small clubs, uh, are allowed to begin again, that they're going to be requiring concert goers to show proof of vaccination in order to attend those events. I would suspect that it's just as likely they will also require all performers to provide the same proof before being allowed to take the stage. I mean, come on, after all. I am a trumpet player, and I'm a vocalist, a singer. My actual job, what I have to do in the function of what I do for a living, is I have to take a deep breath, and I have to push air at great speed in the direction of the audience members in order for my vocal cords to vibrate or for my lips to vibrate inside the mouthpiece of a trumpet. That's what I do for a living. Well, it was announced today that organizers of the, you know, the famous Burning Man Festival out in uh, Nevada have said that they are considering requiring attendees to prove they have been have been vaccinated uh, for COVID-19. And for those unfamiliar, this is one of those, you know, typical counterculture music festivals. Uh, this one's held in the Nevada, Nevada desert every year. It's interesting, of course, that a counterculture event now seemingly wants to comply with the prevailing medical bureaucracy. Hmm? Think on that one. Well, you don't have to do anything other than just follow the money in this particular case. It's very likely that they will only be allowed to hold their festival at uh, something near full occupancy, which is normally 80,000 patrons, by following the state's guidelines in order to do so. Oh, 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 oh. Now, here comes the libertarian purists. I mean, we can all hear them now. This is what they always have to say when I bring this up. Well, you know. Private business has the right to set their own terms for who and how they choose to serve, you know, and accommodate. So that's, you know, that's the prevailing narrative there. And, and while, yes, in, in a perfect world, that is true, but that's not the world in which we currently live. We now live in a world where big everything, big tech, big box, big this, big festival, big whatever is working in lockstep, you know, lockstep collusion with big government in order to set the terms of compliance for what is now our sheep-like citizenry. Uh, Small business, well, even small business either falls in line with what big business is dictating or they get trampled under the boot of the ruling oligarchy. It's no more complicated than that. As to the Burning Man Festival, here's what their CEO had to say. She said, and I quote, At this point, the government agencies involved in collaborating with us have been really super supportive and super helpful. They are not putting up any roadblocks. We are all looking at the resources to make it happen and get this done. So the government agencies that she's collaborating with, by her own words, are putting up no roadblocks towards putting together a functional vaccine passport system for those who wish to uh, attend that particular festival. Yeah, I bet they're not. Um, So where will this lead for others like myself? You know, other performers, musicians, even athletes. Uh, And when I say like myself, those who are not willing to take the vaccine. 
hasn't happened to me yet, but I can only imagine it won't be long before I see the very first contract addendum that requires myself and all of my band members to provide proof of vaccine in order to book an engagement. I know it's coming. And, and even though all current policies being implemented, you know, currently for uh, colleges that are requiring their students this coming fall to provide proof of vaccine, there are medical and religious exemptions in those mandates. But, you know, most of my clients in my industry, they're still private businesses. These aren't uh, government-funded universities. So they can simply choose to hire another band for their events if, you know, if I make such an assertion that I'm exempt for whatever reason. They just can go, okay, well, we just won't hire you. And what can I do about it? File a lawsuit. What will that cost me? Certainly more than what I would have made on that gig. So I know that this dark cloud is on my horizon. And, it, you know, honestly, I, I, and I'm not overstating this, this is something that weighs, you know, incredibly heavy on my soul right now. And the reason for that is because I have no intention to comply. Uh, you know, as I've said before many times, I, I'm not opposed to the vaccine itself. I think that there is a place for that vaccine, and it certainly is useful for a lot of people. It's useful for millions of people that are in at-risk groups. And the data verifies that it works. There's some contradictory statements being made out there that, you know, even though after you've taken the vaccine and it's fully working in your body, you should still wear a mask and not associate with other people that are unvaccinated. And that's a little bit of a question and a contradiction. But uh, the, the reality is, is, as I said, you know, my primary career and livelihood of over 40 years may actually soon be denied me by that collaboration between private businesses and government entities. You know, the whole, the whole concept of my body, my choice, that's always been a lie. We've always known that that was a lie, especially coming from government. And I'm afraid they're about to prove that with extreme prejudice. Considering how willing Americans of all political stripes have been, you know, of late to you know, so easily comply with lockdowns, shutdowns, stay-at-home orders, mask mandates, and the like, I fear there's just not going to be enough pushback, either politically or economically, against the show-me-your-papers fascism. All right. Well, all of that said, it appears that the only way we're going to be able to maintain the growth and expansion of TPC's voice and our reach is through your support. I hope that you'll please join us on Locals uh, while it's free to subscribe over there at thepragmaticconstitutionals.locals.com. Uh, for only $5 a month, you can get additional exclusive supporter content that we don't share anywhere else. And you're also able to interact with all of our other community members. And you're even able to post your own content into the community. So if you're a writer, if you are somebody who has something that's uh, weighing heavily on your mind and you want to get it off your chest and you want other people to talk about it or you want me to comment on it or answer questions about it, you're able to actually post your own content right there in our Locals community as a supporter. But for everybody else, uh, you can be guaranteed, even if you're not a supporter, you're going to actually see every single thing that we post, unlike over on Facebook or Twitter or, or, or YouTube, which is why we're not using YouTube any longer for these videos. 
Please join us over there if you can. Uh, well, you know, there's no, there's nothing stopping you from just subs- subscribing. As I said, it's free, and you're going to see everything that we do out there. Uh, if you can support us, that's even better. Uh, we would very much appreciate that. Also, don't forget, send me your email and send me your contact information as soon as you can to steve at thepragmaticconstitutionalist.com if you would like to either attend one of our upcoming TPC road trip events or if you can help us facilitate our sponsor in any uh, way one of those events in your area. Uh, once again, just just shoot me over an email. Do it right now so you don't forget. Steve at thepragmaticconstitutionalist.com. The first run is coming up very soon. It's going to uh, begin in mid to late May, and I'm going to make a run up the entire East Coast all the way from Florida to Maine. And then later on this year, we're going to head west of the Mississippi and start probably spiraling out all over uh, the western part of the states here. So go ahead whether you're on the East Coast, whether you're on the West Coast, we've already hit a bunch of places in the Midwest, so I'm going to try not to return to uh, many of those on these particular trips. But get me your information as soon as you can because I maintain a separate database for our road trip from our normal email list. That's it. That's all I got to say today. I thank you for joining us again here uh, on a TPC podcast, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. (laughs) 